0: Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show. Thanks for joining us to lead, learn, and laugh. I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. Thanks for being with us today. Well, today our show is called Zoning for Dollars. Yes, not dialing for dollars, but zoning for dollars. Uh, you know, Zoning properties for their highest and best use has can be a fantastic way for greater profits for landowners, for investors, and for developers. Zoning properties can also be quite a wild ride. So we'll hear about all sorts of tips, including some wild rides that, uh, as we have two zoning superstars with us today to share tips and strategies related to zoning and entitlement. Please welcome Julie Sellers and Doug Dillard. They're both partners with Weissman, Nowak, Curry, and Wilco. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Good to be here, Michael. Well, we appreciate you being in Studio One today. And the first thing I have to ask you is about Volume, uh, you know, our land deals around the country have just exploded over the last year. What are you seeing for for volume of zoning
1: business right now, Doug? It has really increased. Um, you know, we we are having two and three, sometimes four cases in three or four different jurisdictions on a single evening. So most of these zoning hearings are at night. So it's uh, it's keeping us all pretty busy right now. So you said you had how many hearings in the last couple of weeks? We've had, uh, if I'm correct, we've had 17 hearings in the last 12 working days.
0: Wow. So how are the the cities, the municipalities, how do they handle this this volume? I mean it seems like they would have kind of maybe gotten rid of some people when they didn't have a lot of zoning going on and now it's just rampant. Well how are they handling that?
1: Well I'm gonna let Julie Chime in on this too, but what's happened is during the recession, mm-hmm. to cut back on costs, they cut back on staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, as the economy is picking back up and the zoning volume and permit volume and subdivisions have increased and office building requests have increased, apartments particularly are on the rise, um, they're not s- equipped from a staff standpoint to, uh, to handle it. And they're not really hiring. Uh, the professionals as they should uh, as we come as this economy comes back and Julie what do you see
2: it's I I think we're seeing the the planning staffs are a bit overworked and you're seeing that in the the time that it takes and sometimes the responsiveness and you know I think a lot of them are well-intentioned but it's just they've got a lot on their plate so it's causing some delays for developers and people that are trying to get deals done
1: okay and the problem with it is that most most zoning and permitting functions particularly if public hearings are involved have a time frame within which they've got to be heard and so the staff has got to respond within a certain time the applicant's got to respond within a certain time and it's uh it's a big squeeze play right now yeah i bet it is
0: well one of the big questions that uh, i think a lot of my listeners have is you know these municipalities most of them are looking to create jobs Uh, they're looking to increase their tax base so as a developer or a landowner or, or an advisor you would hope that it's easier to get zoning done and to get zoning changes that these municipalities be more open to more flexible zoning is it really the case
1: I don't I think it's it's more difficult particularly where you see the advent of uh, unincorporated areas being incorporated into smaller townships smaller communities with the idea of keep keeping control on on growth. When they say control growth, they mean no growth. <laughs> and and yeah. when when that happens when that happens then that creates conflict. Yeah. So uh, the answer should be yes, but the answer is really no. And that's across
0: all the places that you've worked, they they so seem like they're hanging out the flag saying they're they're looking for development. And the
1: NIMBY for- mentality is alive and well. Yeah. And and them for those backyard. who uh, not in my backyard. <laughs> yeah, the only place where I've been recently that 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 their quote was density as density as our friend is Vancouver. Mm-hmm. They've redone. If you're familiar with Vancouver, they've redone downtown Vancouver mm-hmm. very nicely with transit and rail and and high density residential as well as attendant uh, uh, retail, and they've they've done very well in bringing the downtown core of Vancouver back and that's happening throughout the country in a lot of areas yeah well we need some density I mean that seems to be the growth is in the major cities and
0: um, and uh, we've we're going to need the density so what are some tips for a uh, landowner or a developer who um, is trying to get zoning what would be some tips you would share with them I think
2: one of the first things is uh, making sure that you're doing your due diligence. Mm -hmm. And particularly if you are looking to do a commercial or multifamily, something that's adjacent to or in close proximity of single family homes, Mm -hmm. reach out to the neighborhoods because the people that are going to be making these decisions are elected officials and they're going to listen to their constituents. And so I think that's one way to start off on the right foot is educating the neighbors. And then equally important is working with the planning staff. Have a pre-application meeting to make sure that you begin the process of educating the staff as far as your goals and vision for the project, and they can give you a heads-up as to maybe some roadblocks that they might see.
1: To follow up on that, um, we spend our time working it out create a political environment that allows the elected official to make the decision that we want them to make. And to do that, you need to get uh, agreement and accord basically with the neighborhood units. Some some cities have what they call neighborhood planning units, uh, which are basically satellite governments. <laughs> and you work, work with them, work it out, and uh, you take that package all all nightly, nicely wrapped with a ribbon on it to the elected official and ask them to make uh, make a decision and ninety percent of the time you're going to you're going to get what you asked for um, they they don't want to have to make a land use decision particularly if it's controversial and uh, contrary to the wishes of area residents
0: any other tips to deal with the politicians when you're involved in this process
1: well one thing you want to be sure is you want to let them know you're around uh, and one way to do that is uh, is to be active with them politically Now, that doesn't mean you got a zoning application, you walk in there with a check, okay? (laughs) That's not what what we're talking about. (laughs) Well, what we're we're saying is that where there are legitimate fundraising events Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and there are certain officials that are more pro to development than others, so you obviously are gonna have choices many times. Mm -hmm. Um, But when we make uh, political contributions uh, we're not asking that they agree with us when we walk in with a zoning. All we are asking is that they give us an audience, they give us access, let us come talk to them ahead of time so that we know that we're talking to the right people. Many times we go to the elected official and ask them to tell us who in that neighborhood we need to go talk to. Yeah. Uh, and so they help guide us, keeps them in the process, and when we come out with an agreement, which we do over 50% of the time, it's they're they're part of that they're part of that agreement, so it's a pretty much easier sale at that point. Yeah, that's important. Well,
0: I've had uh, some landowners uh, come to me with unrealistic expectations of what their property could be zoned for. What are some tips for developers or, or landowners that you could share the, to give them a, uh, to figure out what might work
1: in a certain area? Julie's had an interesting experience this week I'm going to let her <laughs>
2: expand on that um, I, you know I think the first uh, one good good step is looking at the zoning classifications of mm-hmm. the adjacent and nearby property. Mm-hmm. Most areas now have comprehensive plans and long-term plans, so I think that's important and it can help you sell the rezoning that you're seeking if you can point to the government's comp plan and say, look, you know this property right now is zoned residential, but your forecasting is showing that that this is really going more towards a commercial uh, corridor section of, of our city um, or county. And so I think using the tools that that are already out there, to help you sell and really educating yourself so that you've got a more realistic expectation um, and probably can't stress enough just trying to get, educate the, the neighbors and, and the folks in the area so that uh, they know what you're doing. And I think most developers and builders are finding a higher success rate when the uh, the neighbors are on board with the project or at least educated.
0: Yeah. And I think it's uh, also to have good relationships with great zoning attorneys in the areas that you work like you guys, because I know sometimes we can call you guys and say, hey, this is what we're thinking. And you can say, hey, yeah, there's a 50 percent shot or a 90 percent shot or uh, forget about it, bull, and it's not going to work, right?
1: Exactly. We do that a lot, and obviously uh, our recommendation to all persons who seek rezoning is to always have an attorney involved. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And, and read zoning books. And read here. zoning books, that's yeah. right. That's so, right.
0: Uh, yeah, Doug Dillard wrote this book, Zoning and Land Use Law in Georgia, with uh, Jill Skinner and Seth Wiseman. Is put out. It's published by the Council for Quality Growth, so check it out. Well, I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show, and stay tuned. We're going to have more on zoning for dollars. We'll be right back Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. Our show today is called Zoning for Dollars. We're talking with Julie Sellers and Doug Dillard. They're both with Wiseman, Nowak, Curry, and Wilco. And uh, uh, Julie, not everyone is is well-versed in in zoning and, and, and maybe even commercial real estate that listen to this show. So can you tell us the difference between a special use permit, a variance, and then just a need for rezoning?
2: Sure. Um, I'll start with the rezoning because that is sort of the the broad concept is most areas have zoning regulations which uh, control the manner that property can be used. A variance application is typically uh, a property owner developer who wants to do a development a building some sort of project but needs um, perhaps it's a front yard setback that the restrictions are you have to have a minimum of 35 feet and you really want to put that house at 30 feet. So that would be a variance application and a special use permit is a permit that local governments will require to use a property in a certain manner. Um, For example, some zoning classifications will say, you know, it's primarily residential use that's the use uh, that can be in that district, but there are other acceptable uses if you get a permit a daycare is often one that needs a special use permit Um, a church a um, athletic field community center those are some areas that special use permits are often required and the process is different for the different types of applications so if you find yourself um, in a situation where you're anticipating a rezoning or a variance or a special use permit you need to look at the local laws and make sure you're following the right process because they do differ
1: okay and the basic the basic difference is that zoning is a legislative process Mm -hmm. and a variance and and the use permit is, is also legislative Um, But the discretion in the use permit is limited. Most of the time they'll set criteria by which they would approve the permit, Mm -hmm. hours of operation, environmental issues, and that kind of thing. On the variance, the variance is um, most of the time you've got to show some hardship relative to the size, shape, or topography of the property. Uh, There might be a stream or an environmental issue that causes you to lose an opportunity to build, to, to build on that lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you would want to move and get a variance from the rear yard setback, move it further front, like Julie was pointing out, move it f- uh, closer to the street.
0: Okay. Let's talk about some uh, typical time ranges that, that one might expect. I know sometimes it could take a long time, right? Well, what are some time uh, range samples?
1: <laughs> I'm going to use a response my dad used one time How long is a string? Yeah, I mean it, it should If you push up uphill or downhill I mean. Yeah that's right uh, The process is designed to be a 90 day process mm-hmm. uh, The truth of the matter is You're looking at If, if you don't have any opposition and, you, and, and it goes with no real difficulty You can do it in 90 days mm-hmm. Most of the time it's at least 6 months To a year mm-hmm. uh, To get them approved Okay and one of the things
0: that uh, a lot of people, I think, rely on in zoning is uh, precedents that have set. So if, you're, if you've are if you got uh, some land and, say, they've put 40 units an acre or whatever of apartments on it and yours is zone 20, uh, how important and how useful is it for these precedents where you can say, well, no, in your county you've already done this?
2: You know, I, I think it's helpful, but it's not. You shouldn't rely on it because you know I think that they it's it still is a legislative process and um, you know the local governments you might be in a situation where they approved that, but in hindsight, they think we should have never done that. And so in some ways, I think the precedent can work against you and in some ways it can be helpful. Um, but it's it's not it's not going to be dispositive one way or the other.
1: and most zoning ordinances in setting the administrative criteria for the change of a zoning classification one of the first criteria is what is the uses of the surrounding and nearby properties Mm -hmm. so while it's not controlling it is a factor as Julie pointed out it is a factor that you look to
0: okay and if you if let's say that you got turned down for that zoning and they said no uh, I know we've done 40 units acre before the county but we're not doing it for you we didn't we're not happy we did that is that a basis to take them to court uh, because they've done it for other folks, or no? It's not a basis.
1: Alone, throw me in the briar patch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it is absolutely grounds for a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. And and the thing that you want to look at very very uh, succinctly is is um, is it a constitutional taking of a valuable property right? The Constitution gives all of us the right to use our property for any lawful purpose. That can be regulated by a local government only through a proper exercise of the police power. Mm-hmm. That means that their decision cannot be arbitrary, capricious, or an abuse of discretion. So, uh, that's the crux of a, of a basic constitutional claim. It's a fourth, fifth, and fourteenth substantive due process provision of the Fourteenth Amendment of the United States and uh, the local local states, assuming they've adopted the fundamental principles of our constitution okay and how many cases do
0: you see that actually get turned down they're not approved and then zoning uh, attorneys have to sue uh, municipalities to get things done how often does that happen
2: i think we're probably seeing it happen more in the last year and i think unfortunately for a lot of people it comes down to money you know if you're a developer wanting to do a deal and you've got this piece of property that you thought was going to be great If you've got to go through a lawsuit to try to get the zoning you need um, a lot of people are making the business decisions for a lot of people it's worth it and and they're going to invest the time and money to go through the process Um, for some smaller builders maybe you know it it might not be a viable option for them
0: Uh, but i thought you couldn't fight city hall
1: Uh, well (laughs) you know people ask me that all the time So what do you do i said i fight city hall for developers uh but the, tr- the truth of the matter is, while well, Julie is absolutely correct, there mm-hmm. is more potential litigation today mm-hmm. than before, but I think part of that is, is because there's more volume mm-hmm. uh, today. There are more requests today than before. As a percentage from, from what we do, and we, we make money being able to go to court, we don't do it to go at, going to court. So we, as I said, we spend our time in the neighborhood trying to work it out, uh, and we find that our success rate in court Uh, helps us an awful lot in the neighborhood when we're trying to get some resolution and agreement. And especially with the politicians or the planning
0: and the municipality, right? Because if they know that if you've gone to court before that you will do it again. So I guess that's important when you're choosing someone to to help you with a rezoning, right? Uh, Right.
2: And I think, as Doug was mentioning, it is a constitutional claim that you're raising. And I think one thing that... um, maybe as a reason to hire us or a competent zoning attorney are the constitutional um, challenges that you've got to raise at the administrative level to preserve your right to a certain appeal if you don't get the relief you want and need to go in that direction. If you don't do certain things at the right time, you've lost that right.
0: That's interesting. So you might go it alone or maybe with a non-lawyer, like an architect or someone, which you can do, right? You can apply for zoning as an owner. Absolutely. But you might do some things wrong, and then later you lose some abilities to fight it. If you don't, if you don't
1: raise, as Julie said, if you don't raise the constitutional questions uh, prior to the administrative decision being made by the local government, then you lose your right to first raise those issues uh, for the first time in spiritual
0: world. Okay, well, stay with us. We'll have more Zoning for Dollars. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by France Media. France Media provides exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit FranceMediaInc.com or call 404-832-8262. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Our show today is called Zoning for Dollars. We have Julie Sellers and Doug Dillard with us in the, uh, Studio One today, and we're talking about crazy ride of rezoning. And uh, not in my backyard. You know, a lot of people when zoning's happening and it's in their backyard, they don't want it to happen. Uh, what are some misconceptions that, that neighbors in a community sometimes have regarding rezoning and land planning?
1: Well, I refer to it as caveman mentality. <laughs> Uh, caveman didn't like change, you know. He liked going out there and dragging his woman by the hair, and <laughs> you know, doing whatever they do. You know, well, we're but not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to do <laughs> oh, that. Oh gosh. Okay. So they we Sorry, get, we get adjusted to our environment, yeah. and we just don't like change. It's yeah. a, it's human nature. We don't yeah. like change. The thing they don't realize is that, particularly today, uh, this is not your parents' housing market. Yeah. And that means that the housing trends are going to change from 75% single family detached on large lots historically to 25% attached or multifamily to reversing of that. 25% single family detached on large lots and 75% cluster town homes and apartments. The other thing is changing is is the proximity that we're now developing as people desire to live closer to one another. Uh, and have access to transit, have access to community, uh, community uh, activities, uh, to have a greater sense of open space, the preservation of open space, which historically we've always done on our individual lot. So now we want the parks and we want the bike paths and we want the pedestrian access to where we live and where we work. We're mm-hmm. not going to stay in our cars for an hour and a half each day going to and from work. So the misconceptions that we're running into today, particularly with local governments, is that we're asking them to now make urban decisions, and the problem that we've got is they've still got a suburban mentality. Yeah. And so we, we, we've got a tremendous educational uh, opportunity but task ahead of us to educate local governments on better land use practices than we have historically done. The last 75 years sprawl. The euclidean concepts as they came out of euclid versus amber realty in 1926 we've proven that doesn't work
0: mm-hmm.
1: so the zoning ordinances are still very euclidean they separate usage rather than in an exclusive way rather than uh, creating opportunities in an inclusive way yeah
0: well if you want to oppose a zoning so some zoning gets approved what what can be a basis for fighting that zoning if you're a neighborhood group I'm going to let Julie
1: handle that. She's had an interesting (laughs) experience this week.
2: Um, You know, I I think uh, from a neighborhood's perspective, if you're opposing it, Mm. you need to have some, some sound reasoning behind your opposition. It can't just be, I don't like it, I don't want it. You need to have some concrete concerns with regard to traffic, light parking, um, insufficient buffering between residential and commercial or multi-use. I I think the most effective neighborhood oppositions are those that really take the time to educate themselves or retain professionals that have experience and can really speak to the specifics of the proposed development and attack the basis of the development. Um, I think that that presents the most challenges for the developers, but also has the most likelihood of success of um, defeating the proposed project or at least being heard and um, having your opposition uh, considered and given the weight that it would deserve.
1: The law requires that you show that you have no reasonable economic use of the property as currently zoned. So that in and of itself requires an appraisal, requires some economic analysis. Uh, Also, for a neighborhood to be able to to challenge the rezoning, let's say it's approved and the neighborhood wants to challenge it, they've got to show that they're an aggrieved party, that they have special damages that's peculiar to them. The neighborhood alone cannot be a party plaintiff. They've got to find an aggrieved party uh, in order to file the suit and to change the um, administrative decision of the local government. Like a specific landowner nearby. Yes, correct. You almost always have to have either an adjacent property owner or somebody's close by.
0: Okay, and I guess you have to be careful with that, right? I mean, you could fight a fight and lose it, and it could cost you as a, as a neighborhood, right? Absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, you you appeal it, uh, we challenge your right to have standing, uh, we also challenge your right to file the lawsuit, and we ask for attorney's fees and damages because of the fr- frivolous nature of the litigation.
0: And have uh, attorneys' fees uh, been awarded sometimes in those cases for the landowner developer?
1: I'm gonna let Julie handle that.
2: They have. I mean, that yeah. the it's it's um, virtually impossible in most situations to Mm -hmm. get damages against local government, Mm -hmm. but in a frivolous action, the courts are, I think, even showing an increasing willingness to award attorney's fees if a claim has been brought without merit.
1: So get get, get good counsel, right? (laughs) Get good counsel, and be sure you've got uh, a meritorious claim. Don't, uh, Don't go in there just because you don't like what's been done. More Zoning for Dollars after this message. We'll be right back.
0: Does your company provide professional services to the commercial real estate industry? The Commercial Real Estate Show is an excellent way to reach your target audience. For advertising options, visit CommercialRealEstateShow.com or call 888-612-SHOW. Welcome back, I'm Michael Bull, and this is the commercial real estate show. Today our show is called Zoning for Dollars. We have Julie Sellers and Doug Dillard with Wiseman, Nowak, Curry, and Wilco, and we're talking zoning. And one of the questions I get from uh, a lot of sellers of properties is should they be concerned about a buyer putting their property under contract, contingent on rezoning, them taking it the buyer taking it all the way through the process and the zoning failing and not happening. Uh, And then there's a time period, right, that the the seller can't rezone that property and they're stuck because they can't rezone it over and over again, right?
2: That's correct. Most local jurisdictions have time restrictions. If you have a zoning application that has been denied or if a property has been rezoned, you've got to wait a certain amount of time. It can be a year that you have to wait. Um, Sellers do need to be concerned and they need to be cautious. It's perfectly appropriate and it happens all the time and it should happen to have contingencies in contract. Tracks to allow a buyer to go through the rezoning process. But as a seller, you want to be part of that process because most jurisdictions are going to require a seller's authorization. So you're giving your permission to have your property rezoned. And if you see things starting to go uh, in a negative way and perhaps have some concerns, then you as the owner have the ability to pull that application. And withdrawing the application is a much better option than facing a denial. But
0: but what would be a proper trigger that a developer is spending the money to rezone that might allow in a contract There's some signal from the the municipality that this may not happen? Um, What would be a good trigger?
2: I think if um most developers are great you do have uh, and i had a recent experience with what i would consider a rogue developer and i think if this this was a property under contract this developer was sending very personal attacks Mm -hmm. um and emails and communications to the county commissioners Mm -hmm. i would think if that seller had any idea of the manner in which the developer was carrying himself i would think that they would have pulled um, that rezoning. Because if, they, if the
0: contract gave them a right too, right? They'd have to have the right in the contract.
2: Right, exactly.
0: Right, right. What about, should a seller be concerned about uh, also that the property does get rezoned, it is successful, it's contingent on that site plan or that exact number of units, what's going to be built there, and then the purchaser just doesn't close, doesn't fund it. Uh,
1: so, should a seller be concerned about that? Absolutely, I mean you know you've got to, if possible, have agreements relative to density, mm-hmm. have agreements relative to the overall approval, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times developers don't line up their their money to close until after they get the zoning because they don't know if they whether they're going to get it or not. <laughs> so so it's sort of a catch-22 for a seller. The seller needs to be very much involved in the, a part of the mm-hmm. process. As Julie said, they've got to authorize rezoning to begin with. But there needs to be certain checkpoints, and you can do that in the contract mm-hmm. that that the seller has to sign off on. Yeah, uh, we've got a we've got a, a matter right now that we're getting extensions about every three or four months because mm-hmm. the zoning process has been extended beyond what everybody thought it was going to be.
0: Okay, what about? When you're going and asking for a certain density, number of units or square footage per acre or what have you, should you ask for a little bit more than you, than you really need so you can negotiate?
1: You know, that's a strategy that people use. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my experience has been uh, it's a lot more productive to be forthright and honest about what you think is the best use of the property. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's good, sound land use planning, you don't really need to play that game. Uh, There are other things you can do relative to open space, landscaping, uh, access, hours of operation. There are all kinds of conditions that you can add that would make, uh, that would address the concerns of the neighborhood.
0: Okay, and those are good points, and I want to ask you about that. Are there certain things that a developer might put in his plan that might tip the scales a little bit with the neighborhood or the municipality, uh, like green space or anything?
2: Absolutely. I think green space is something that, uh, most areas, especially in town areas are lacking. So the Mm -hmm. more green space you can add, I think that enhances the appeal to the neighbors. Um, you know, sidewalks, other, other things that would be in keeping with the area and anything that you can do as a developer to enhance that area is, is definitely going to be a positive, uh, Selling point with the local Government as well as the neighbors I'm, How about
1: also, mm-hmm. I'm also an organic Farmer mm-hmm. so we're Finding that community gardens uh, The right for each Property owner to have a garden you know As, as a farmer I believe There's a constitutional right to garden <laughs> uh, But some local ordinances Put restrictions on that yeah. uh, And uh, so I think that but that is becoming very Popular as a, as a community uh, Amenity uh, to encourage the rezoning of the property. Just so your farm's not in Colorado. I mean, That's <laughs> right. It's not in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: are there are there any situations where a landowner should consider rezoning their property before they find a buyer or developer for it?
2: In most cases, you probably don't want to. Um, you know, developers are unless you're a developer, but uh, you know, developers are savvy. They know what projects are going to sell they know what their price point is and what they need as far as a density and use Um, if you do that prematurely you may end up with property and while you think that you're enhancing the value you may actually keep it the same or even reduce it because you may have had it rezoned to something that no one wants so in in most cases it's going to be to the owner's best interest to wait until you've got somebody that's interested in the property and then start the rezoning process
0: okay and have you seen um, contracts when you're involved in the rezoning that the price of the property uh, is adjusted based on the outcome of the zoning on the density or
1: absolutely we we structure our fees that way as well Mm -hmm. you know we say okay how many units or what kind of density do you need to make this deal work Mm -hmm. and then we base our fee and the seller also bases the purchase price on the number of units or the per thousand square feet that they might get uh, for density.
0: Well, that makes sense to have a success fee uh, set up, and that makes good sense. When we get back, we're going to have some crazy stories about zoning. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back, I'm Michael Bull and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about zoning for dollars. We have Julie Sellers and Doug Dillard here with us in Studio One. And guys, zoning can get pretty personal sometimes, can't it? Uh, And get kind of crazy. People can really get upset uh, when zoning is in their backyard or or sometimes they feel like they deserve the zoning and they're not getting it and, and people are interfering with their property rights. What are some of the craziest things that you've seen out there? Well, over
1: the years, I've had some pretty weird threats. Uh, I had a call one night uh, back 20 years ago, and they said, uh, we know where your children go to school, and Mm -hmm. uh, you better be careful. And, you know, I had my phone tapped, called the DA, had my phone tapped, and they continued to make harassing calls to my home. They wouldn't call me at the office. They called my wife and kids Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And and it was coming from a payphone, and uh, so we never could. We had a surveillance on it, but you know, back in those days, it didn't have cell phones. What, I guess you could track it easier today. You could then, but but uh, I've had police and escorts into and from hearings. Uh, I had a hearing in a local jurisdiction a couple of years ago when we were trying to get a, um, a mosque approved, uh, and the police chief came up to me and said, I'm going to escort you to your car uh people would go online videos there was one she had a a woman had a had their her grandson, a pit bulldog and a gun a A1, a one a forty five whatever those rifles are strapped to the to the deal and said uh no need to beware of the dog directed at it directed at us and the wow. uh so um People get pretty uh, can get pretty hot and bothered. We've had three evacuations of our office building over the years for uh, as a result of zonings that are going on. So, and most of the time, um, they're un they're unavailable f- to to discuss the merits of the case. They've made up their mind. They're going to fight you, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and they really don't understand the process. And they uh, they think that they can through threats and intimidation make you go away. And the truth of the matter is, it just makes us fight harder. Yeah. So, so it's uh, it can get pretty, it can get personal. Uh, and for us, it's never personal. Mm-hmm. Um, Julie had a situation this week where they made personal attacks on her, mm-hmm. um, but that's part of the part of the thing. It's never personal f- for us. Uh, and I think the local officials realize the how unfair and um, unnecessary those kinds of actions are mm-hmm. they really do not help persuade the decision-making process to their side of the ledger I get yeah. pretty crazy out there where
0: our fun has to end soon here can you give us a closing tip for our listeners
2: I, I think my closing tip would be communication mm-hmm. uh, communication on every level if you're a developer communicating with the neighbors with the local government If you're a member of the planning staff, make sure that you're, you know, being responsive to the needs of the people that are trying to develop and do projects in your city. Uh, If you're in the neighborhoods, communicate with the people that are trying to do projects next door. Uh, It will end up being a more enjoyable process. And while you might not get exactly what you want, you're more likely to get closer to the outcome that you want whatever that is if you communicate
0: well
1: said quick tip doug don't take it personal
0: (laughs) make it personal
1: and be thorough understand that the uh, opposition does have the right to oppose you due Uh process clause gives us the right to be heard they have that they have that constitutional right and their privilege and we need to always respect
0: that well said doug julie thanks for joining us today thanks for having us we appreciate you having you on the show today and For more information from Doug and Julie, visit WNCWlaw.com. Well, be sure and join us next week. Our show is called Sustainability for Health and Profit. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for The Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Atlanta Office Liquidators, new and used furniture liquidators. France Media, publications and conferences, and Bull Realty Commercial Brokerage, a great place to do business. For more information on these companies or to access additional podcasts, videos, or blogs, visit commercialrealestateshow.com.